Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Jayshree Ramesh. Jayshree is the founder and director of Academy for Severe Handicaps and Autism, ASHA for short, in Bangalore, India. The Global Autism Project partnered with ASHA in 2018, and we've since sent three skill core teams to their center. Founded by Molly Ola Pinney in 2003, the Global Autism Project provides sustainable clinical, administrative, and leadership training to autism centers seeking guidance. SkillCore is a volunteer opportunity for self-advocates and professionals to travel to our partner sites around the world and work directly with their local teachers and therapists. We're currently accepting SkillCore applications for travel in 2022. Begin your journey today at globalautismproject.org forward slash SkillCore. That's S-K-I-L-L-C-O-R-P-S. And as a listener of our show, take advantage of the coupon code to waive the application fee. It's Autism Podcast, with no space in all caps. In this conversation, Jayshree and I discuss the varying perspectives of autism across India, how Indian mothers and fathers accept autism differently, what Jayshree loves about working with the autistic population, barriers she's had to overcome when developing ASHA, leadership and encouraging teamwork among staff, effects of the pandemic on services at her center, the partnership between Global Autism Project and ASHA, what she likes to share about Indian culture with our skill core teams, and advice for other professionals interested in starting their own center. You'll also hear us talk about Global Summit, which was our first annual conference held in Bali in 2019. It was a beautiful and inspiring week for all of our partners from around the world to connect and share ideas, stories, and resources. Global Summit was also open for our SkillCore alumni to attend and receive continuing education credit. In this episode, discover what's possible when constraint unlocks opportunity. To learn more about Jayshree and Asha, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, Please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you, Jayshree Ramesh. Hi, Jayshree. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me on this show. It's so exciting. We kind of rescheduled a couple of times, but I'm so happy to be here. Yes. I'm glad we could make it work too. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? Yes, I am Jayshree Ramesh. I am from Bangalore, India. I'm the founder director of Academy for Severe Handicaps and Autism, which is ASHA for short. We started our organization 25 years ago. It's going to be 26 soon. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So let's first start with talking about autism in India. 
You know, we've had Sangeeta Jin, who is also a global autism partner, on the podcast previously, but she's actually from a different side of the country in Chandigarh in the north, in Bangalore is in the south, correct? Yes. Yes. So would you say the perspective is different in different parts of the country in regards to autism? It is. The perspectives are different. And let me tell you why. Because India is a very large country and uh, the metros or the urban spaces are very different from the smaller towns or the rural India. So the perspectives are, you know, very different because even in the mainstream education, you know, education is viewed very differently across the country, though everybody, you know, has to be literate, but it, it is viewed, you know, and, and, and especially, you know, if there are girls, so you have a different perspective. So, yes, we are a country of very complex issues. Could you specify what those differences are? With respect to autism? Mm-hmm. The whole social fabric of having a girl child is one. And if there is a child with special needs, like it's a double whammy. Because many times in India, a child with special needs is looked at as a burden for life. And the attitude and the understanding of that is that I have been a bad person, that I have done something wrong as a parent, as in this life or in my in a previous life somewhere. So it's a karma. The bad karma has given me this child to deal with. So now I'm kind of doomed for the rest of my life. And largely it is the mother who takes the brunt because somehow she's held responsible for bringing this child you know, into the world. Mm. So that is one, one aspect. The more progressive places where there are, you know, there's more awareness and there's more acceptance and there are people, families which have come from more educated backgrounds, we find that the acceptance is better. But in terms of services and what the children need, we are getting there. You know, there's, there's been a lot of progress in the last decade and decade and a half. It's a long way to go. And I again come back to the fact that it is a huge country and a huge population. So even if you say 5 to 6% of the population has special needs, it's still a large number to cater to. Okay, so where does your city lie on that kind of continuum of awareness? Is Bangalore a big city or is it in more of a rural area? Bangalore is a, like called the Silicon City, you know, like in the US, because we are, we are like a tech city. Most of the multinationals and the IT industry, they are based here in Bangalore. And we are in the south region of Bangalore. And um, fortunately for us, the healthcare system and the services here in Bangalore is one of the best. So we do have access to uh, neurologists and pediatricians and psychiatrists much easier than most places. And... Uh, Autism and the understanding of autism and the kind of services that's been developing in India largely has also started from Bangalore. And uh, there's a very good network. So that way we are very lucky. Yeah, mm, That's great. So what kinds of services are available for families 
from the point of diagnosis throughout adulthood? Yes. So um, very specifically to Bangalore, we do have very good diagnostic services. So children are now, I think, picked up, uh, you know, by, by almost, I think, uh, 15 to 18 months. You know, they are they're able to get the first round of tests. And the early intervention programs that are there, you know, it could be the eclectic approach, it could be a mother-child program, it could be the ABA kind of a specific program. For different economic levels, there are many such services now available in Bangalore. And moving toward education of older children, there are a couple of special schools catering to just specific needs of the autistic kids, just like how we do at Asha. They're also inclusive programs. So children do get, you know, the one, the brighter ones do get to go to the mainstream schools. Moving up towards vocational training. I think there are many, uh, quite a big number of adults on the autism spectrum who are employed in the mainstream. So that is very good. And um, in terms of even independent living and or assisted living, I'm not saying it's very specific to autism, but there are a lot of services now available um, in Bangalore. Not enough, but yes, there are now models evolving for the older persons on the spectrum too. Mm -hmm. So I think we are seeing a, a quite a nice you know, circle over here. And uh, one big plus is when the corporates or the businesses started hiring people on the spectrum, I think. It's a big turning point because we could see a success and we could show families where their children can be if, you know, the right uh, education is possible. And also to say that, uh, you know, corporates are willing to expand and learn and accommodate and, you know, be aware. So diversity and inclusion is a part uh, of the mandate here now in many corporates. Uh, that's very good. Yes. That's great. Okay, so how do families usually pay for services? Is it out of pocket or does the government provide some support with that? No, the families have to pay. There are government hospitals and some healthcare part of it is available uh, to families who come from the lower economic uh, groups. But by and large, we don't have any insurance that is covering any of the therapeutic interventions so it's really an out-of-pocket expense mm. for the families and it can become very expensive because they do go for private therapy and tutoring for special education. So it can be a drain on the family. Yes. Yeah. And for families who can't afford it, what happens to their children? That is a big uh, challenge. See, the special schools that run are funded by the state, a few of them, if you are if you are qualified and you're able to enroll into their uh, scheme. So those schools are able to provide a little bit of relief to the families because part of the money is funded by the government. But individually, the very poor get some money from the government, but not a lot. So it, it becomes the responsibility of the organization to find money or extra funding so that that can be then passed on to the family. Mm. So they subsidize the education costs because the organization gets the support from a donor or from a philanthropic organization or now from businesses because India provides for 
uh, corporates to spend on education and healthcare and all of these uh, sustainable development goals. So corporate social responsibility is a big thing now. Okay, got it. So Jayshree, how did you start working with the autistic population? Uh, <laughs> this was long back. Uh, way back in uh, in the 80s when I finished my graduation, I became a teacher for children with learning problems. And that was my first exposure to autism. And uh, this was before the computer age. So we didn't know about autism in India. Mm. Um, my first teacher and a mentor who had headed a special ed program was trained in the U.S. And she had been in the United States for some time and she had come back to India. So she was the first one who actually told me a little bit about autism and said that these kids think differently, they learn differently. So you have to observe them and you have to you know, learn about them. And there was not much of reading material, nothing available then. So that actually got me very curious to know more about these kids. And I was able to enroll into a special ed program in now. California at San Jose State, I could get into my master's program. So that was the shift because I could go and, you know, learn a little bit. And then actually I understood autism because I learned a little bit more and I saw more of these kids. And California was just beginning some services for autism in the 90s. And I remember there was the first teach workshop from North Carolina. They were there. So I couldn't, you know, attend that. So this this has been a while now. So lucky I could move back to India and uh, then decided to start ASHA because, you know, there were not, not that many schools. There were not, no programs even in the 90s. So I had no choice but to start something. Hmm. So my original thing was, okay, I know a little bit about autism. So I'm just going to cater to a few kids and I'm going to run a, like a small you know, small program. So I didn't really have a plan of what I was going to do, but just started it, just started in a small place. Mm -hmm. It's like you had this impulse that you had to follow. Yeah. I mean, it was a kind of a thought out program too. I mean, thought out idea because, you know, I had studied, I'd come back and I kind of checked out what was going on. And then I got into it but didn't really know what was going to happen with that. You know, it was an idea. Okay. I know a little bit of autism, you know, let me start working with the children or let me start sharing this with the families. You know, mm -hmm. Didn't realize that what is special education in India? What are all the other you know aspects to have to look into? So didn't have that insight or knowledge then. So, yeah. 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 And a lot of times action creates clarity. Right? Yeah. 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 So why are you passionate about helping people with autism? You know, these kids are so different. If you look at the other, you know, other kids, you know, I always, you know, uh, liked kids. I used to play a lot with kids and I could, you know, interact very well with them. But kids on the spectrum were very different. You know, they didn't really interact with you. They didn't connect with you. So that was a big you know, like a big slap in your face. This is what's going on. All, all kids like you. Then why is this? You're not able to even break ice here. You're not able to connect with this kid. So that was a challenge. We started 
driving me to learn more about autism. And uh, I think it was just the drive to figure out what's going on with them. Why is it that we are not able to reach them? How are they very different? What is it that you need to do to actually understand them? So it is. this is what actually started the whole thing. And then, of course, talking to families, seeing the moms struggle with no services, like they don't know where to go and what schools or where, how is this child going to fit. I think at every step, the next challenge was what kind of pushed us to keep thinking ahead, thinking ahead. You know, initially it was okay, let's start working with a few kids. But then as you started working with the kids, then there was a new issue to address. There's something new to look at. And then you had to, you know, get into that. Otherwise you wouldn't move. So you were stuck with that. What were some of those challenges or barriers that you had to overcome? Way back, I I recall that autism was not a known word, was not known terminology. So even if you told a, a teacher in a school, even pediatricians at that time, if you told them that I, I work with children with autism, you know, they said, what is autism? You know, we've never heard about it. It was that, that stage. So the challenge was, how do you get people, at least in your own circle, be aware of what is autism? The second challenge was, where do you find your people to work with you? See, alone, how much can you actually do? You may cater to three children or four children or five children. But then what is it that you need the help of other teachers? You need the help of a speech and language therapist. You know, you need a a pediatrician. You need an occupational therapist. You you need the team. So where to find them? Because we didn't have, uh, uh, you know, training programs and who just churned out special educators. That was not there. So the biggest challenge was, making people understand what autism is and getting people figure out and getting people to be trained to work with this. So that challenge, I think, went on really for more than a decade. So by then, Indian you know, laws kept changed. And um, I don't know, luckily or unluckily, we saw more children being diagnosed uh, with this condition. Of course, we didn't get children very young then. We used to get them when they were six, seven, eight, you know, that age range. So the early intervention was not there. It's just intervention. Whatever age you got them, you start the intervention. It was there. So then you start networking with other organizations and other people and then start talking about what age group and how to catch them early. So I think over a period, things changed. And then, you know, government the new law came in and then um, training programs were there. So things have moved, but again, largely in the urban spaces. Mm. So the challenge is again, always finding people, finding people to work. Yeah. So what kinds of services do you offer children and families now? At Asha? Yes. Well, we kind of have the entire gamut of services now. We do have... I don't do diagnostic in, uh, you know, testing because that is done at the hospital level. Once the diagnostic uh, you know, evaluations are done and they come to us with the label, so saying that this kid has autism, we move into the developmental and the educational part of the intervention. So we have you know, a team that does the basic 
first line evaluation to see where is this child at. And then we do have an early intervention program now uh, where the mom has to be a part of it. We don't take children just, you know, just the children. The mother is a very essential component because that's when we are also training the mom. So the mom spends about three hours every day along with our team. And then we do offer a day program for kids from six years to 18 years. So they are there with us through the day. And uh, most of the kids who come into our setup are kids on the spectrum with cognitive difficulties. So many of they will not be able to fit into an inclusive program. So they do need a, you know, a lot of support. So we have a pre-vocational training moving into a vocational program. So they stay with us till the age of 18. And we do understand children with autism learn in different ways. So we have introduced things like music, movement and dance. And yoga is a big thing in India. So yoga and a lot to do with technology as a medium to learn. So we try and see what fits the child and puts them into that program and make sure the child is getting you know, a whole lot of things. And the parent training is a big part of what we do. So we encourage parents to learn and keep learning because the issues keep changing. So there's a lot of uh, workshops in, in local language, one-on-one you know, -on -one with families. We do counseling services for families. We have a psychiatrist on call. We have a physician on call. Um, so I think we have the whole setup now. It's still a small number that we're catering to. We only have 60 children in our uh, day program and about 25 kids in the early intervention. So it's difficult to run a program like this because it needs huge uh, you know, investment in terms of people, resources. So you need a lot of professionals. So I don't know if this is a model for India, but... Uh, we have kind of pushed it and made this happen. So, Yeah. Well, that's huge. Going from just a small number with an idea and the heart and the drive. Yeah. And yeah. now you're serving so many families and making a huge difference in your community. And no, but there's always a gap. I mean, there's always something that you feel like, oh, you know, we have not done that or we have not reached there yet. Because we really like to see most of our kids become independent uh, you know, and manage themselves. And, and, and that's hard in many cases with autism, but, um, you know, that's the goal. Yeah, it's, you know, sometimes independence looks different for different kids. True, yeah. yeah. Based on their needs and whatever support they require. So could you share a success story related to one of your students? Uh, yes, we've had... Um, very early on from our early intervention program, we were able to mainstream one young fellow when he was just six. Post that, we have been able to mainstream two other children now and both doing very well in the mainstream schools. They came with good cognitive skills, but difficulty in a lot of other things, you know, in terms of social ability and language ability. So probably was easier to push and make them learn that and help them adapt. And then we got willing schools who would take them in and they supported them. So I think the parents come back to us and, you know, very grateful that we are able to provide for them in the mainstream education. So I think that's a big plus. The other big plus I feel is not so much child per se, but 
the moms, you know, I see many of the moms who have come to us are uh, no longer, you know, feeling the stress, but they feel that they understand their kids now and they're able to help them out in the homes and also deal with the other family members. You see, that's very important because sometimes, you know, it's the mom who knows and just trying her best, but the others don't understand autism. So we always encourage the mom to keep training the others in the family so that, you know, they understand how to deal with these kids. Because in many Indian families, you have the older generation also, you know, living. So there's a big, as it is, there's a big confusion, conflict with two, three generations together. So, you know, that that has happened. But I feel that because we have many moms who are working with us and uh, we've continued to encourage moms to do the certified training and to also take this up as a profession if they're able to do. So I think that is one good success. Uh, the third part of the story is it's not easy to find uh, trained special educators to work in, in our setups, especially when, you know, the money is very minimum that we pay here. So, so what happens is that we get teachers who are undergrads. So they become our assistant teachers and they learn the job through in-service and actually become a part of the classroom and they are taking on the burden also and supporting the special educator and helping with the group activities and stuff. So we have a large number of women like that who come from the local areas and have the heart in the right place and they're very willing to learn and they are very good with the children. They come with a lot of other talent of music and art and stuff. So I think providing for them as a profession and giving them a career path, I think that also has worked very well you know, with some of them. So I feel that it's not just success only with the kids, but somewhere I think it's the people around that we've also been able to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So. Do you ever encourage fathers to join in on the sessions or do you have any male staff or is it primarily... Yes. Females. Right now, I don't have male teachers, special educators. I did have, but uh, they had to move out. But some of my therapists are all male members. My dance teacher is a—he's a you know guy, and uh, doctors, you know, they're all, so we we do you know like to have men on the workforce because I think it strikes a balance, and uh, we encourage the fathers to participate. All our training programs are open to both because, you know, if you don't do things in the weekend or you don't do late in the evenings, then many times dads don't join. Mm. So we do have sessions on Sundays almost every other month so where the dads can join, especially in our early intervention now because we also learned it the hard way that we insist that the father comes in at least you know, a couple of times a year to understand and be part of the thing. Funny thing is when we do sessions on a long-term planning or planning into adulthood or on employment or on, on financial planning for the families with special needs, you can be sure dads are there. But when we talk about self-care or motor skills or you know, trying to teach language to the kids, they are, it's like, okay, that's mom's affair. I'm not, you know. You know How interesting. It's very, it's very interesting. It's very interesting what, you know, drives yeah. uh, men to this. So, yeah. But we do have sessions. Do you see a difference in the way they accept their children's autism between mothers and fathers in India? Yes. 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 Yes, it is very different. 
Um, I have seen, I think that's also like, feel like it's a spectrum. I have seen some of them very logical, you know, very clear that my son is probably not going to go into any college or become, you know, a postgraduate or have a, even be a graduate. So and I need to provide for him and I need to find places, you know, for him and I need to save so much money. And, you know, they're very clear with what their goals are, you know, with respect to uh, their kids. Is this the father you're talking about? Yeah, it's the father. It's the father okay. I'm talking about. Versus, you know, I've seen also the other end where the fathers have just clammed up. They are so emotional. They don't want to talk. And because the moms come and tell me every time there's an issue, it's like, you know, he just breaks down or he's not dealing with it or he's not talking about it. But I know is he's not doing well. His blood pressure is all, you know, haywire. His diabetes is not under control. You know, so we are, I've seen both ends. I've seen dads take it very well, very vocal, easy to discuss and plan versus some of the dads who will just avoid you, will not come to the sessions, will not talk about it. Finally, when we pushed you know, one family, we said this mother really needs help. She's having a hard time. The father actually came and said, I come to your gate. I see these children. I don't have the courage to come in. Because I really lose my courage when I'm in this place. I get very scared of what's going to happen with my child. So I avoid coming, you know, in and looking at all of these kids and stuff. So I think men deal with it also very differently. So we need to have a lot of sessions. In fact, our counseling sessions are also available to fathers. And we encourage them to uh, you know, talk to the um, counselor as well as to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is wonderful. So he, make sure he un, the family understands what these issues are. Do you offer some support groups for families so that they can meet each other and find other people they can relate with? Yes. You know, this is something that I have tried very hard. In fact, we opened Asha in August of 95. And my first support group meeting was in September of 95. And uh, now it is... 2021. All along, we have tried many different ways to bring together families to create a very robust support network, but I have not succeeded with that. They come together for certain times, but as a cohesive group, a group that has worked together, I don't know. I don't know. It has not happened. This is an issue with many, um, you know, Centers also we check and say, how is the network of your families? Um, we've not heard great success in any of that. So I don't know whether it is Indian families reaching out and getting their support through other sources, or I don't know why you know families are not working together to address the larger issues that they are having. Hmm. So it's very strange, but we have tried many, many, many different ways to bring families together to, and have a sustained network. You know, there is a network, but to have a sustained activity where they're really able to troubleshoot and come up with their own answers and you know, look for things, especially, you know, we are, we are all worried about what will happen to these kids when they grow up, you know, in terms of assisted living and with government systems not there to support them. So how are they going to do so? But, you know, there will always be a champion parent who's doing lots on their own, but the network as such. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm still looking for a, a strategy to build that. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder what that is about Indian culture that... Mm-hmm. I don't know if Sangeeta has any other ideas on that. I need to check with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because so. I know that some of our other partners, like Mafair in Ecuador, they have a really strong parent network. And it's it's more of a collectivist society there, you know, where people are really looking out to help their other community members. Do you think there's maybe something with that in Indian culture? Like, is it just more individualistic in that sense? Yeah, because in India, we have, you know, lots of subcultures, groups, which, you know, follow their own tradition, their own practices. So within that group, yes, there is a lot of networking. You know, there's a language thing and there's a religion thing and there are subcasts and subsystems. So they do get get together. But across the borders, if you have to work, you know, for this cause of having a child with special needs. Hmm. So, you know, I'm not seeing, I mean, there should have been a huge national network by now in India. We, in fact, founded the Autism Society of India. But, uh, you know, it's not very active. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, Jayshree. Well, you were talking about bringing together all these different professionals, Uh different staff, and you manage many adults from various departments. So what have you learned about leadership over the years? Yeah, I mean, leadership means different things, I think. One is, I think, the ability to connect with people. So... I feel that if I'm able to understand who I am serving, you know, whoever is my client or the family that has come to me for help, then I'm able to give better options to them. So in terms of what leadership is with my peers or my staff that we work with, you have to also lead by the front. So you have to be there, you have to face the challenge, you have to show them that you will stick with it and you'll be there to, because organization like this goes through a number of challenges and funding is one many times. So you you have to, they see you in in terms, terms of distress and in terms of challenges, how you are actually dealing with it and how you will sustain the program, how you sustain yourself. So I think it's a lot of internal strength. You have to kind of really weigh everything and be sure that you're not working. Sometimes, you know, it's just not, you you, you have to be very careful. You have to hold your emotions back and then do what is right by everybody. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it means different things, really. It means a lot. Yeah, how do you think your staff would describe your leadership style? I don't know how to ask them that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we have a very democratic kind of approach to everything in, at, at work. They don't fear to tell me, uh, you know, anything. So they, they have a chance to voice their opinion. Um, they have a lot of freedom to choose, you know, the way they want to work within the realm, of course. So I think they know you know, what, what it is that they can do. And there's a lot of respect. They do respect me a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I can give that. Yeah, 
Yeah. But if I don't go there, they do miss me too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us of a time when you encouraged teamwork among your staff? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you, from the boss's perspective, okay. So when you have a large team of 20, 30 people, and then you have this project that you have to do, which is like out of their real job area. The question is, who do you pick for that? Generally, the idea is that, oh, I know that person can handle it. So let me give it the job you know, to the person. That's how we normally used to do, right? So what, what happens is then, you know, sometimes we are not fair to the others or we are unfair to that one person and we kind of expect a lot from that person. Mm. So what we did was we said, okay, we will create a very democratic way of doing it, that we will draw lots. So everybody's name is there and then they have to pick it up and then, you know, whoever is going to be the team lead for the project, Emily, it's your choice. You got it. So it's a lottery. I, I had nothing to do with it. So we just started playing the lottery game for all of the activities out of the classroom because there were so many things that we have to do within a school situation. So that I felt was a good strategy for two things. One is I was off the hook. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't really choose anybody. But the second thing is that somehow I think universe chooses the right person. Hmm. They got what they needed, you know. Some of them who felt they could not do were not really, you know, volunteering, were put in that shoes and and they did so well. So then they realized for themselves that they had it, but they were the fear was stopping them or whatever the low confidence was stopping them. So that kind of a thing really worked out and uh, it's been a great thing. But now, of course, we know, we know the roles and the responsibilities and what kind of projects. So there's generally somebody there to take care of things. Yeah. But it is interesting how people evolve when we put the challenge in front of them. Or, and of course, we do support them. We just didn't leave them you know, to the tigers. <laughs> right. Yeah, we support them. But it is amazing. Just this last time in, during the pandemic, in the month of April, we made... We said all of the teachers, all of the 35, 40 of them had to do a presentation and train the others and they could pick up any topic that they wanted to do. Oh, yeah. So this was the first time that many of them actually sat and did a PowerPoint and they used the Zoom to, you know, to be able to share and, and brought in the knowledge because it was a two hour presentation. So that means they had a lot of preparation that they had to do but it's it's like I mean I was really thrilled you know I saw so many good presentations and they felt so good about it you know that they felt that they could do so it was very exciting yeah that's wonderful so what's your big vision for Asha oh now I have to retire that's the only (laughs) (laughs) they can they will manage that's that's fine Uh, yeah now I think the especially in the last one year I feel that with these digital platforms and technology now, there's a lot that we can share with families in the smaller towns and the remote areas, because many of us also speak local languages very well. You know, to be able to reach out to those families, I think we have now a way because, you know, the teachers can actually capture the videos of the way they're teaching their children and all of that has become, you know, so good and they're prepared now, you know, they're quite happy to be sharing their skills. So I feel that that is what I would like to 
work on for the next couple of years is put down some good learning materials, training materials, and make sure that you know, parents don't feel they're at a loss. Even if they don't have a trained professional in the vicinity where they are able to get physical assistance or go to a school, at least the parent must be able to get some assistance, you know, can get can train and can she can work at home with the kids with our support. So I think digital tool is what we will have to look at and then spreading our what Global Autism Project has been doing across continents, we would like to at least now do, you know, within our community to reach out to the rural areas. Hmm. And make sure that people here, I mean, get get trained, get good knowledge, the right knowledge. Yeah. yeah, I think we're all learning from the pandemic. What we thought were limitations are actually, you know, just opportunities to think more creatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how has the pandemic affected your center? I know you had to shut down at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. We've shut down twice already, and I think... They're now scaring us with the third wave. So it's a really a mixed bag. Some of the families have done very well. You know, some moms, you know, really got it. She was able to take the online support, work with the kids. Luckily, and the kids have done very well. In fact, I keep joking that they've done better than being in school. So homeschooling is the way for them because, you know, some of the moms have really done. We did an evaluation with the kids. You know, they were brought into the center. But, you know, almost 50 to 60% are having a very hard time. Mm -hmm. The families don't get a break. The kids are there all along. And because with the sleep disturbances and other behavior challenges, you know, the other children are also getting affected. And everybody's on a digital platform. now. All children are learning only through the digital mode. So there's a huge issues at home. Mm. Yeah. And not all families are very savvy with that and can afford to have all of the tools. So even accessing them would, was difficult in the beginning for us. So it took a while. It took a while. I think many of them, especially now after a year, are ready. They, they want the centers to open. Just want the kids to go out, be there, be safe, but go out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. What's the current situation in Bangalore? There's no talk about centers getting open at all right now. Even the mainstream schools, no no news of any of them opening. So it's just like we're getting up for the third wave now. So they're saying it's probably going to be October, November by the time we know whether it's coming. When the vaccinations are on, we got most of our staff and you know parents all vaccinated. Round one, we have got vaccinated. We all have to go through the second one yet. So that is happening on one side and we are running a whole lot of awareness things on COVID and we got a pediatrician also recently to speak to the families on what it is, you know, with children, if they have COVID, how do you recognize the symptoms and what do you do? And there is talk of setting up COVID care centers for children in the city. So other hospitals are working on that. So... August is going to be a, quite a difficult month. I think that's going to be the challenge we have to really see are we going to go into any kind of problems. And and where we are, Bangalore was one of the worst hit. was one of the worst hit last month. April to June was very bad. So we have a long way to go yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, putting it on the positive side, can you share a story of parents who have inspired you during this time? 
many, many of them. Yeah, when I see them struggle at home with the kids, but are able to catch on to what the teacher is saying and develop on their own, and they share videos of their children at home, and the way the the communication has gone from just a tabletop activity into the you know homes, and it's like three or four families definitely stand out, and and I'm so glad they have done that, and. they have made sure they've attended all of the sessions online and they've understood what the teacher is saying and they're able to implement it they're Im- able to improvise and they're able to add their own creative ways of doing things in fact i have learned quite a bit from moms when i attend their sessions we recently just last week we had eight moms share about how they're using the communication tools at home whether it is just the visual cards or if they used an app and it was so exciting and i really didn't realize the kids are actually able to communicate so much i hadn't seen that in a long time so the the therapists are working with the moms but the moms had to share and see how they are doing it because it was also for the other moms who are not getting it or are not trying enough we said let the moms tell us so you know those sessions are really really inspiring and i feel that yes it'll be okay they will take it forward they will know what to do so mm-hmm. you get a feeling yeah yeah that they are not so dependent even they become very dependent on you then there's a lot of pressure because the kids are not doing well and there's a lot of pressure on the teacher and we don't know what's happening but now we realize that the parent is also working equally at home then you know there's less pressure and the child is getting. and best part is you know you see the children they are relaxed they they have happy faces they're very smiling at the whole thing so that sh- indicates that you know something is right so it was very good very good i enjoyed those sessions yeah yeah it's an opportunity for parents to also get to know their children more absolutely absolutely and yeah. even be surprised at what they can do focusing on their strengths absolutely absolutely yeah. because we miss out so many things See within the classroom it's a very structured environment you have only that many activities and that many spaces but at home you find them in so many different dimensions you know they are in the kitchen they're out with somebody else and there's a fight going on and they're dealing with it mm-hmm. it's very dynamic you know the home environment if they are able to manage that it's great actually yeah okay jayshri let's talk about your partnership with the global autism project yes that was great How did you first hear about our mission? Um I think it was on an email and I had seen some work I'd seen the website and you know I had received a mail sometime back saying are you interested in a partnership and that caught my attention and we kind of looked in a little bit more and then when we said the trained volunteers are going to help you you know they will be here and they will work with your staff i said oh my goodness this is an opportunity you can't miss <laughs> so <laughs> that my the skill core is what caught my attention and i said we need to explore this uh, you know a little more and see what it is so and then you know we had the initial uh, discussion with them to see whether we are you know going to be fit and is that what we want you know what what we want for our institution i think it went off well and uh, i think we've had uh, two or three visits skill core mm-hmm. visits yeah i mean it's amazing what was that like for you to have skill core at asha 
you know initially it was oh my god trained people are going to be there from the us we have to have everything in order and we have to be on the best and we have to show exactly what we're doing and everything then when we realized that it's going to be such a partnership you know it's like you know there's so much that they are going to take away from us and we are also going to learn so much in a very natural you know non threatening way i think my 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 staff had the best time because they had these volunteers in their classroom and they could you know sit down and have a discussion without me being there you know it's good to have me out of the picture sometime and then they discuss it and they were able to and for also many of my teachers it was like getting a reassurance from somebody saying that hey you are doing it you're doing it you know the right job okay maybe you need to tweak it a little bit or maybe you'll you know document it a little different but you know it was a good thing for somebody to say you're, you know they got that reassurance but one great thing was i think the documentation so we were doing it we were documenting it but i think we were not adequately documenting what we were doing so i think that was a big plus now we are able to actually see where where the children are you know, moving yeah yeah i mean it would have been great if yeah, last year you know had happened yeah but i guess so definitely we look forward to when things are better and uh, india opens thing for travel and everybody safe we'd love for the thing to happen again and love for my staff also to meet other people you know to be there so yeah it is a true collaboration and partnership as you're describing yeah so many of our skill core volunteers go on these trips and come back having learned so much from our partners and are able to implement these new strategies into their own work with their families and children at their centers so it's a two-way street yeah it's a two-way street because i think they also understood that how come we are able to work like this in such difficult situations like you know such small spaces and short of materials and stuff like that but yet you know the child is having a program and the child is learning and so many different languages and so many things so i think it was an eye opener for many of them too mhm that's good good experience actually and they enjoy coming to india the food and stuff they're a little scared in the beginning but they enjoy the food <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the culture yeah yeah what do you like to share about indian culture with the teams when they visit One is of course the food because we have such a variety of food you know so they can enjoy if they're really you know into it but um yeah largely about the culture is that everything here begins with the family so the family is at the crux of the whole thing and then the lot of the responsibilities on the family and it is here they have to understand is the families who have to seek out the service and they have to go and actually look out for institutions nothing is handed over to them so it is a family and coming together of families many times you know they have to understand that the extended family members play a big role in our families and the other thing is of course like any i won't even say developing country but where resources are quite short for such activities you know how do you improvise how can you be very careful with how you know how you have to manage the resources you know those, those are kind of some of the things that we have to share with them and the languages we come from different backgrounds of language even within the community there are so many diff- cultural differences 
so i think they have to understand that it is a very large country with, you know it's very very dynamic but the heart is in the players you know they they yeah. want the children to get better they want to give the best every family wants to give the best education for their child mm-hmm. so that is what the family strives for so so which languages do you speak jayshree my native language is kannada which is for south karnataka um i also speak hindi which is the national language i won't say 100% but i yeah i'm quite uh, manageable there and i do understand other indian languages i don't speak very well but you know two other indian languages i can understand so so at the center what language do you all communicate in english is one major most of our reports and our testing materials and other things you know ieps everything written all of it is also written in english the local language is kannada so a lot of families are used to having kannada so in the classrooms you'll hear a lot of the local language the children are used to it the teachers are used to it and uh, because bangalore also has other communities like tamil is which comes from tamil nadu so that is a big group so there's also tamil lot of our staff speak tamil so we have other languages malayalam not much but yes lot of south indian languages so two or three south indian languages are there but we stick to english and then the local language is kannada to primarily and maybe a third if the family wants it so okay and how does religion overlap among all these different cultures in south india by and large you know it's the same you know everybody practices the same worship at home they visit the same temples and stuff or religious spaces and we have the same kind of festivals though it may you know the dates here and there we, we have a whole lot of festivals we have so many celebrations to about january we are always having some celebration <laughs> or the other so not just one or two things so somebody in, inevitably somebody is on you know taking a break because they have some celebration <laughs> but yeah the hindu religion you know by far we worship the same gods and gods we have numerous gods and goddesses to worship and uh, of course the christian and the muslim population have their own but we do observe holidays for all of the religious festivals we are closed for a week for christmas and you know a few days here and there for the muslim festivities so but yeah at the center it doesn't matter we just observe some major events that's it otherwise we don't religion is not a focus yeah okay so in this sense religion doesn't play so much of a part in the perception of autism specifically there no yeah. yeah. okay yeah we've never looked at it that way but families do i mean you know in terms of going to places of worship and you know doing whatever they need to do to ensure the child is doing well so they have their own belief systems but you know not in our work we don't okay got it so you also attended our 2019 global summit in bali that's actually where you and i met yes. can't believe it's been 2 years already yeah yeah so what was that like for you to spend that week with all of the other partners Yeah it's amazing first of all I always admired Molly and said that she was able to you know reach out to so many countries and you know people so but I could see that in person and see what it is like and um 
in all of the sessions when they were sharing, there's so many commonalities in the way we managed, especially when it comes to funding. Everybody's always saying there's not enough money. <laughs> so yeah. it was it was so funny. It's just, you know, nobody said oh, there's enough money for autism. Everybody was you know, struggling. And we realized that autism is the same, you know, wherever, whichever. The children have the same issues. The families are going through the same kind of issues. Largely, we are approaching the problem also in the same way, except, you know, whatever is the basic constraints in each country. And and again, shortage of trained staff. Most of the places I heard, there's not enough people working in this, in this space. So I felt that there is... A, you know, a great connect and, uh, you know, and together with so many ideas. Um, every country, I think policies can definitely change mm. with, with this impact, yeah. Yeah. But we are building a global network. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing that, yeah. you know, yeah. especially now with our community online, it's a place for all of our partners from around the world to connect and learn from each other and share resources. Yes, yes. I would love for us to actually invite all of the partners to share about their work for our community to see, Mm -hmm. you know, and then hear from things. So I hope we can do that sometime soon. Yeah. 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 All right, Jayshree, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you offer to other professionals who are thinking about opening their own center? Uh, here in India? I'll stick to that for now. Um, yes, because I, I get um, you know many calls many times, people asking me what is it that they need to do if they have to open a center. Um, I feel that a special educator or a professional who's technically qualified in autism, you know, and who knows what to do with a child with autism, wanting to start a setup of their own is a good idea, is a great idea, because they would know what kind of a program they can put together. But also, I strongly advise them to ensure that in their team, they also have people who understand finances, who understand what it means to run a business, and uh, somebody who can guide them about all of the legal frameworks. Because if we miss that, then what happens is even if your program is doing well, it will sink you in because, you know, you won't be able to sustain or be able to run your program. So you have to be aware of all the rules and the regulations and the laws and the legislation. So you're aware that you're not getting stuck anywhere. But a person at the helm who has good technical understanding I think we'll be able to bring in the best of professionals to be able to give what is good for their program and for their you know, families. I think that is very important because I don't think a business head sitting there will have an adequate understanding of autism to say I would need all of these components in my program. They may not have the understanding, but it is a person who comes with technical skills. I think that will be great, but they would need strong support of somebody with business and finance. Then they are grounded and then all set. And if you can have a patron on your list, it's great. Who can just write you a check and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> then you're set for life. You don't have to bother at all. <laughs> yeah, that's a dream. Yeah, yeah, that's a dream. That's a dream. It should happen. <laughs> okay, Jayshree, how can people learn more about Asha and the work that you do there? Do you have 
social media account? Yeah, we have a website that's up and running and we do we are on Facebook and on Instagram. I am not very active on social media, but my team is. My staff. And then, yes, they can connect with us on Facebook. And uh, Okay. Just so you can say it out loud for the listeners, what is your website and your social media account? AshaForAutism.com. That is www.ashaforautism.com is the website. And uh, Asha for Autism you'll see on Facebook. And I guess that's the same thing for Instagram. So, Okay, great. I'll put a link to all of your information on our show notes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Jayshree. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. If you're a professional working in the field of autism education or a self-advocate wanting to share your life experiences, SkillCore is an opportunity you don't want to miss. Work alongside our global autism partners to help ensure that all autistic individuals around the world have access to quality education and services. If you'd like to learn more about our SkillCore program, check out episodes 4, 17, 53, and 66, featuring SkillCore volunteers that have been to India, the Netherlands, Indonesia, Dominican Republic, and Kenya, to name a few. Listen to them talk about their transformative experiences and see what SkillCore can offer you. Again, we're currently accepting applications for traveling with SkillCore in 2022. Begin your journey today at globalautismproject.org forward slash SkillCore. That's S-K-I-L-L-C-O-R-P-S. The coupon code for our listeners to waive the application fee is Autism Podcast with no space in all caps. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.